the you kind of like this guy, but when you can't decide between the filet o fish or the Big Mac, and he says, I'll get you both. Thank you. You definitely <laughs> like this guy meal. Get it at McDonald's when you get two of your faves for just six bucks. Limited time only. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Welcome to Beltalota, the officially unofficial podcast for the Expanse on Amazon streaming, uh, Amazon Prime streaming. Uh, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron, and today we're talking about season five, episode six, titled "Tribes." Uh, Aaron, what do you think of this episode? Uh, I thought it was really good, and in subsequent watches, I really appreciated them developing the theme of tribes. Um, it's something that, like, I, I was like, you know, it was like. Amos kind of calls it out early in the episode, his like theory of the churn and tribes getting smaller and civilization. It's kind of like a, an inverted uh, Murtry speech, you know, like uh, call, call me when you get a post office and someone who okay. cares. And Amos is like, call me when the post office fails, falls to the, the bloodthirsty cannibals and then and I'll, I'll save you. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I really think that they're like doing that. I, I, I just really like what they're doing. Um, showing how people get in desperate situations and how they're forced to make actions based on inferences of other people's actions. And it's the church. It's like a really, it does a really good job of showing both the micro and macrocosm of this churn theory that uh, the Amos has put forth. And uh, I really like it. Um, Also, like I've never really got, you know, I'm a massive Amos fanboy. I've never really got the sense that he is like a sociopath in the books and the shows that I've read. And like, this is the first episode where I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah. I only think that because he's been running around with a crew, like, like a fucking (laughs) paladin who's, who's reined in his, his worst impulses. Um, it is a, it's a very contradictory character because like, I don't believe Mm -hmm. a true sociopath acts like this or even, you know, um, but I don't know. Like, I, it, it's something. It's a new side of his character that I'm getting for the first time, and it was kind of chilling. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I'm sure there. Uh, uh, you know, I'm no psychologist or, or therapist or anything, but uh, I'm sure there are a lot of different types of sociopaths. Uh, and Amos is a particular flavor, I guess. Where, mm. yeah, you think of sociopaths like not even really understanding the emotions that are going on in any scene, but like, or you know, any any interaction. Amos definitely does, but also. I, one of my favorite things I've done with Amos so far is just that one line that he has at the end of the scene where he's like, I need to get back to my crew. It's such, it says so much about how he's feeling and just how he could sort of slip back into his old life at any moment, right? It's, and it is, like you said, the only thing is is this governor he's got on him of Holden and Naomi and the good people around him who are kind of right. pointing him in the right directions, you point him in the wrong direction, he becomes a monster. And mm-hmm. I, I thought that was super effective that, that like the microcosm of the churn, like you're, you're talking about here. Um, and yeah, that the, I don't know. They're, they're setting up some interesting stuff with drummer, uh, like the, the mm. tipping of the hand that Naomi is on that ship, uh, on, on the Pella at, by Philip at some point. It creates a lot of interesting possibilities, right? And we see them jet off, so like we're not sure where that's going, but that opens a lot of interesting doors to see how drummer's going to react, um, especially in the show. Because like as a book reader, 
none of this stuff is really in there um, as far as drummers interactions. So this is a whole new dynamic for me uh, to be watching in the show. And the stuff they've done with drummer and Naomi in the show has been really good up to this point. So I'm, I'm super interested in that storyline. I'm astounded that they, to hear you say that this drummer stuff isn't in the books. Now is that, is it because it's not in the books or is because it's, it's happening with a different character? No, no, I would. Well, it's, it's tough to say. Um, because that's I, I've noticed that's one of the things that the writers seem to lean on when they're adapting the book is like um, take things that are inferred in the book and actually give those scenes, you know, like yeah, Avasarala, yeah. you don't really get to know her until well into the second book. But in the in and she's just kind of like, you know, a behind the scenes person that's mentioned uh, and yeah. in this series, you know, they actually make her, you know, a, a full full on full on character and kind of show what she's been doing that, you know, Holden can only guess at. So. I don't know, I, but it does shock me that like, as I thought you'd be, oh yeah, it's, 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 it's the drummer plot, but it's not drummer, it's thrummer. And, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, you've he's read... a hard bitten belter out of series and, but it's essentially kind of like the, what they did with bull and drummer. They just reversed bull drummered her, you know, but yeah, yeah, no, they've done a lot more with uh drummer and Naomi in the show than they have in the books. And I, I appreciate that. Like the character development is much stronger. They don't do very much with Amos's character development in the books. You know, he's more the gun you point at things um, Mm -hmm. with this mysterious past, which they fill in the blanks in a novella, but the mainline books don't really do much. Um, They do all the stuff they're doing here, except the Claire and Amos stuff is not this deep. Um, They're they're doing Mm. a much better job in the show uh, with with the Claire Amos dynamic, getting to know more about them and how they you know, how they feel about their pasts and their parents and their current situations. Like all of that stuff is far better spelled out in the show. Yeah. And I, I really like those, those, those character moments. Cause this is kind of yeah. like, uh, man, I don't want to say it's a dull episode, um, but, but it's more one of those. Um, and the expanse has very few of them where they're moving pieces around the board. Yeah. You know, uh, to to set up for the net the next set piece like uh, the expanse has been able to kind of like uh, for several seasons now just chain together cliffhangers it's it's crazy and this is an episode where um, you know they because like, yeah it has some crazy action like you know Bobby once again forms an integral part of a structural support of a starship uh yeah uh there's the there's the uh action scene if you want to call it that uh where clarissa goes spider monkey on the survivalist uh but it doesn't have like it, the cliffhanger is entirely emotional like amos yeah. coming out of crossroads and realizing holy shit if i don't get back to my crow my crew my crow my crew that i'm gonna go into dark places here um and they do a lot but, of like layered things too, where where they're building tension because that whole drummer meeting Marco scene, oh after yeah, he's spaced Ashford, and you know the relationship they had, and like there's a lot of fireworks that are expected to go off in that scene, and the fact that they diffuse that and they just kind of shove it down only means it's coming back later stronger, right? It's like oh, this sure. delayed fuse that is that you're watching going off in slow motion. It's it's going to be good. You've inserted an irritant into drummer's faction, which is uh, yeah. uh, Carl, Corral, 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 I think is her name. Yeah. Okay. That sounds right. Uh, that I, I, uh, I, I think that's, that's, that's a brilliant and it's also makes perfect sense. in like a very game of Thrones, you know, uh tribute slash ward slash hostage. Yeah. 
uh, situation. Like like Fargo, uh, so we I, just watched this this happen. Yeah, right? they traded their sons yeah. to keep the peace. That's what's happening here. Time tested, feudal manner of uh, uh, keep, keeping keeping the peace and, and keeping the power structures intact. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I thought I thought that's all. It's like all makes very good logical sense, and also is going to pay off. I'm sure in spades when it comes to drama. That's what I'm saying. Like you know, you don't like I'm not. Uh, I won't say that this is uh, like a slow episode because again, I've seen in so many other se- uh, shows like you know Breaking Bad was famous for these where they'd have like three barn burners and then a quiet introspective episode. But you need those to set up the next barn burners because if it's all action all the time, it's a fucking comic book movie, and those can be fine. Um, yeah. but you know they don't they don't resonate as much as I think the material and and, and the expanse does. So. I, I I appreciate it, and it's not like I found this like I was riveted throughout the whole episode. Yeah, um, yeah. All right, uh, well, let's get into it. We start off with Avasarala, Avasarala, however you want to say it, struggling to hold it together. Uh, she's worried about Arjun. Um, she hasn't heard from him, and the acting secretary general pays her a visit, who is way out of his depth. He's he's a guy who. I don't know. Is, is he's much more the sixth grade field trip type than he is the running the the inner uh, politics type. And I'll he, give him a month. He'll he'll be belt. <laughs> he'll be torturing belters with gravity before you know it. <laughs> well, maybe so because he invites Avasarala to join his cabinet, which she's gonna run rings around him um, if she decides to. Like that. That's the thing. I I really like this guy. By the end of the scene. But at the beginning of the scene, I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's a pushover. This guy's a know-nothing, going to get steamrolled by Avasarala. By the end of the scene, I'm like, okay, I like this guy, right? He's putting, he's making smart decisions. He knows his weaknesses. He's putting people with experience in places of of influence, um, people who he respects for having warned him and been right on this call. Like, he's C- making good decisions right off the bat. Yeah. Counterpoint. I've seen Battlestar Galactica uh-huh. <laughs> and I think the play yeah. is when you're 65th in line of, of authority that as soon as you get into the room and you have the people who are actually the lieutenants and experts of the previous, you just shit on them, tell them they're a bunch of fucking, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, war junkies and intentionally antagonize all your experts. I think, I, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see which one plays out better in the long run. Um, yeah. cause I never finished Battlestar. Uh, I, I just that was a number one reason. Yeah, because holy shit, president president was Rosamond Rosalind Rosalind. Yeah. Ooh. But there is a risk of over deferential sure. to people with old ideas, possibly bad ideas that maybe created the situation in the first place. Um, yeah. But I like this guy too because he they, like man, it's what an efficient sketch of a character. He's inexperienced, never been off Earth before, but you know he got into politics for the right reason. Yep. Uh, the guy, the, he, you know, he had a, you know, this, this, he thought he could do this guy's job better. Run, elect the one in, I'm presumably free and fair democratic election, and doesn't really want this kind of power. Uh, and sometimes those are the best people to have in these situations. Humble enough to know mm-hmm. uh, that what what their limits are, discerning enough to know who they need on their team to be successful. Um, and I, I'm, I'm really excited because like I said, I hope they don't do the thing where like officer all just slips into playing him like a fiddle and puppeting him. And like, they're, yeah. cause I think that's kind of like a bad arc for her, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like I, it. if you look at, well, a, I, I just want to know what disease this guy is hiding. Clearly 
you know, he's if he's going to go the Rosalind arc, he's got to be hiding something. Uh, sure. B, if you look at Avasarala's arc um, throughout this entire show, really, she's always been dealing with assholes who have some sort of power over her, right? Except for like right. small parts of last season where she was the Secretary General. Um, yeah, yeah. Those people have always been kind of bad people or stupid people. Uh, people Vain, soup, yeah. Right. Shallow. And, and she has always had, you know, you can question her motives and stuff, but the best interest of Earth, I think, uh, and, and humanity. humanity. But Earth, Earth for sure. Well, yeah, I, I think it just extends mostly to humanity. The the Belter stuff gets a little complicated, you know. Um, Fair, yeah. But that's the show. Uh, but yeah, I, I think she, you know, has she, she, her heart it's it's like Amos right if her heart is pointed in the right direction by somebody like this I think she mm-hmm. could do great things um, it's just a matter of like will this guy be able to will he be able to like show her a path forward for humanity not to be the dicks that they've been in the past and I don't yeah. know I don't know and I, I think there's a lot of uh, we're starting to get drips and drabs of just how fucked earth is like uh, all of New York City is apparently underwater and there's a really like uh, you know you pay attention to some grim shit happening here like this guy got plucked like you know secret service style from the middle of a second grade field trip or whatever and he knows for a fact every one of those smiling children's faces is extinguished um, it's yeah. almost certain that blah June is is no more uh, like if he's Columbia University, where is that exactly? Maybe we That's can get the, the real Arjun back now. Maybe Blajun <laughs> was a plant all along. <laughs> yeah, he was. It's in. It, that's yeah. It's in the heart of New York City. Like there's. Yeah. Unless he had a Secret Service detail hustling into. Uh, and I think you're supposed to understand that this is kind of a hollow gesture, but it's also kind of an expanse. Like you know, chaos theory. He missed his subway because something happened and he, you know, he heard all the stories and like after 9-11, like people who mm-hmm. should have been in there, but they missed their connection and they missed their, they missed their flight. They missed their taxi. They decided to go outside for smoke. Like, I wonder if they would pull something like that. Um, and you got to think like, about like uh, the stuff we've seen in the past of New York, right? Like the UN, the UNN building. Uh, and the seawall yeah. stuff, and most importantly, these shanty towns that they've got with the the makeshift, you know, tents and stuff. All those people probably dead, probably washed away. Uh, Especially mi- when you think this is yeah, millions of people. This isn't 21st century New York City where the water would recede after a tsunami or whatever. This is New York City who is a functionally 10 to 15 meters below water, and now you've yeah. got a wave that breaches that if the if the wall. You know, if the wall holds, now you've just got a dam and and flooding, you know, the entire Atlantic seaboard. If the wall fails, then great. You've just now flooded the entire Atlantic seaboard. So we're starting to get these answers of like, how fucked is Earth? Earth probably pretty fucked. And we Mm -hmm. haven't even gotten to the worst, the the worst pieces of evidence yet. Um, The other thing is like, this works so well with Avasarala's like speech. I think she gave the Holden about being the adult in the room. Like you can tell that all she wants to do is fall apart and be with her children and worry about Arjun. But like that sequence of her, like as soon as this acting secretary general leaves, like her wiping the tears from her eyes, putting on like her jewelry is like her armor, right? Like this is a warrior that thought they could relax and mourn their dead. And now it's like, fuck, I got to armor back up and get ready for, for, for hard work. Um, this is the only scene we get to see her. And it's just such a hell. We've spent 
10 minutes discussing it because uh, because they just yeah it's a fucking dead show they layer this shit on and it, it, it all works yeah. um I fucking love Abasarala. she's great uh another character that's great amos uh is is escorts claire over to some relief effort uh they decide however that they're better off heading for baltimore through the woods because she risks getting shot by the authorities uh as you know one of the earth's most wanted people criminals uh so yeah quick quick scene here it's interesting that Amos asserts that the his crew in Baltimore is the type of people you want to be around when you're in times like this. I'm not so sure. And even if that was true, is it still true when the guy said, next time I see you, I'm putting a bullet in you? Yeah. Like, I, I don't I don't know. I don't. Plus, Baltimore also uh, pretty close to the ocean, some would say. <laughs> so that brings me to what I think is uh, a weird choice. Um, we talked last week about how anticlimactic the reveal of the devastation once they get to the surface uh, through the elevator shaft was here. They give you the reveal, right? But I feel like all of this, like wide shot trees uh, laid down to the ground uh, buildings on fire and, and flooding all that stuff would have been better served at the end of last episode. As, Dude, as I don't climax. know why they did it. I, I, I think that there's this episode. I saw more of the seams of budget requirements um, where it's like, you know, obviously they spend a lot of money on the show. None of these are like criticism. I'm sure they did the best job with the budget, but I do think there's some things where it's like uh, Clarissa. I, I, I'm assuming like the same thing about the Amos fight or maybe this, the Clarissa going spider monkey on this guy. Like these are supposed to be action scenes that, they just kind of cut because they didn't have the money to do it. And some of those expansive CGI shots outside of the tower, like I just don't, maybe they ran out of time. Maybe they ran out of money. Uh, but it, I do think it would have been better to, yeah, pan out and show us how far, like, cause they do, they do, they show they do us in this kind episode. Of, it's yeah. a transition zone of like, you see this devastation and then like, this is the edge of it. And they're building a refugee camp here. It's almost like a nuclear winter type situation where like, this wasn't winter, but now it is. And you got a feet, two feet of snow everywhere. Um, again, second piece of evidence that earth is probably pretty fucked. Uh, yeah. you know, uh, I, so yeah, I, I feel that, but I think it's, it's probably just, it's gotta be budget. I don't need artistic decisions. It's just like, they didn't have well, no, the what money I mean or time like, to do it. They show that they show all that devastation, right? They pan over the, the woods they are totally flattened to here. Um, yeah. Why couldn't they, they show do it, it twice, here? Like, why, why wouldn't they show it at the end of last episode to really drive home the, the point? But like, I don't know. My only thought is like it's got to be money. Like they had the shot that they, they had to do this shot to establish where they're at. They didn't before. They thought they had, or they want to leave it a mystery. It almost feels like they want you to discover along with the main characters kind of how fucked Earth is. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and but then again, we fi- yeah, Amos discovered it. Why didn't we find out last episode? So yeah, yeah. You know. I know he's looking off at it. Why couldn't we? Uh, whatever, it's fine. Um, so. Holden is adjusting to his new crew aboard the Rossi and Monica boards the ship against Bull's better judgment. They take off for the Hungarian group and Holden gives her uh, guest privileges to the ship systems and then sees that he has a message from Naomi waiting. Uh, the Rossi Something took off and goes wrong. didn't explode. It's got to be like a dead, that'd be have a dead woman switch, right? That whole like I, I got a email scheduled to send and if I don't like ping the server every 24 hours, it automatically sends. Uh, fucking Naomi is smart. Yeah. And I love that she's got a contingency plan for a contingency plan. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, Especially since 
you, you'd think it has more information than like, hey, I'm held against my will and Marcos' ship because she got that message out last. So like, is this going to be some kind right. of tracking code? Is it going to be some kind of like, here's the, you know, because one of the ships in Marcos' fleet is that ship that she brought to her son. Is it like override codes for that? So there's going to be some ramming action or reactor overload action later. Uh, oh, how will Naomi feel about that if like Holden pulls that card and Philip happens to be at the helm when he does? Like these are some things I'm wondering. I'm wondering how sure. they'll handle this stuff in the book or in the show compared to the book because this this is tracking with the book, but I can't say anything. Uh, yeah, and it, it's, it's going to be fun though. We still don't know why Monica is important to Marcos's plans. It seems like she is. Uh, she I thought she. They, 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 this is one of the best scenes I've ever seen of a, a civilian weaseling their way into a military operation because she, she just point blanks like, okay, bull, uh, I was almost killed on your station. Now you've got all your best people on this ship. Like, who's going to protect me? Like, arguably, this is the safest place for him to be. And you're not going to scare me about rough stuff on the Rasinanti. I went through the fucking I know, gate. Man. I, I like, on this I was ship, in, like that's the hilarious. I was in the middle part. of a civil war. I got thrown out of an airlock with a blind guy on this ship. Like, what could yeah. happen to me? Uh, it's great. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, I I love that. It, I, I'm not like the biggest Monica fan, although I think she is like a spitfire and kind of awesome at yeah, times. Yeah. But she's also super annoying when she wants to be. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I, I like Bull have, you know, she's like, you're either going to have to let me on or drag me off. And Bull's like, right on. And just like, yeah. wait to go grab her. <laughs> It's it's good. It's good. Uh, so then we go back to Bobby uh, or sorry, we go to Bobby and Alex for the first time this episode. They're adrift. Uh, their engine is uh, kaput. The Martian ship that was chasing them sends a boarding party, which Bobby in her power armor distracts while <laughs> Alex plants a bomb on their drive. Yeah, I was like, as soon as I saw them trying to board the ship, I'm like, oh, we're going to see Bobby. We're going to see Mecha Bobby. And it it both did and did not disappoint. Um, I have oh. the same problem, like with the the like the Warhammer universe, where like these space marines are supposed to be so quick and strategically proficient and amazing tacticians, and they're also in hulking body armor. And every time you see them, they're just standing in the middle of combined fire, sh- tanking it while they're just laying waste with their superior weaponry. Uh, I mean, yeah. It, 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 does it ever bother? Like this, like. You know, we saw Bobby on a training mission the first time we ever met her, and she's like sprinting around and taking cover and doing somersaults and stuff. And maybe she just knows that these belters have these little plastic rounds and it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. But, you know, like, is it a 1% chance of getting a hose nicked and all that? I, I, I guess I wish I wish she'd kind of peek around the corner, even though she is in their hulking power armor. Uh, yeah, that's fair. The, like, the, the computer says threat <laughs> level low, it doesn't say threat level no. <laughs> Zero, right, right, right. Uh, but on the other hand, it was entertaining just to see her giant gauntleted fist with the chain gun and just like mow that guy in half. <laughs> oh yeah, and and yeah, her her becoming the structural support for these spaceships welding together was just chef's kiss. I love yeah. it so much. I, I do love seeing that. The, the, my other favorite part of this scene is when the, the, he plants the bomb. They they blow it up, disabling the other ship, destroying the other ship. I. I can't remember if it blows up or not. Um, At least disabling it, yeah. For sure. Uh, and then they jet off with their emergency pattern alpha, whatever. The way mm-hmm. that Alex gets leveled to the deck, and, <laughs> and he's, he's like, taking it. Like, Alex isn't crushed or anything, but he's he's pinned to the deck, and then Bobby's just standing there in her portable crash couch, smiling at him. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's yeah, they're both whooping. They're both doing war whoops, and he's doing his yeehaw. But, yeah, he's just crashed down to the deck, <laughs> ass up. 
uh it's it's a great it's it's a good scene uh and it's a oh, good yeah. it's uh I also like the point where like, Alex makes kind of like the leap of faith, or I don't know if his suit calculated trajectory, where it looks like he's going to miss everything, but it, then the the Razorback swings in, he's able to grab it. Yeah, does um, Bobby's suit not have any? I know she has like jump jets that she could use to like really propel her in one thrust, but she's got to have thrusters on that, right? There's no way a Marine outfit in the galaxy won't have spacesuit thrusters like right. their whole the the whole reason the you know, marines are all about like being in one thing and then hitting the other like you're on a boat and you hit the land you're on a plane you're hitting the land you're on the land you're hitting the boat like yeah, yeah they can't be helpless in the void it'd, it'd be ridiculous it would be uh they'd be they'd be uh in the army if that's the case uh yeah but, i'm trying to think if we'd seen it but i can't remember uh, yeah, I feel like maybe there was some like suit displays of like retro fi- actor fire when she was like uh, falling off big uh, high high cliffs in season three or the, those bridges uh, like softened the not only is a lower gravity, but a softened impact. But I don't know. Could be. Um, oh, wasn't wasn't uh, Diego. Is that his guy's name? Diogo. Wasn't, wasn't, what, Diogo, when they were weren't they kind of like jetting up the uh, the elevator shaft? Yes. Yes, they were. I don't think they were climbing. They were just kind of like iron manning up. So there you go. Yeah. Okay. Um, one other I've never, I've been, I've been looking for this information forever and ever. And I finally found something that explains the entire livery of the Razorback, which we've got a real nice shot of. It's like the history of flight. It yeah. starts with, so apparently the Ic- Icarus or maybe um, uh, a Leonardo da Vinci concept of, of, of human f- flight. And then the next one is the Wright brothers. The next one is the spirit of St. Louis. Uh, the next one is just a 747, kind of random. Okay. The next one's a space shuttle. The next one off that is the Virgin Galactic Starship, uh, which is a present-day starship. The next one is the OG Epstein, Epstein Drive ship, and then you have the Razorback. And what was really cool is this livery is almost identical to the actual thing on Virgin Galactic Spaceship 2, except for the, you know, the spaceship. Term, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, like it, it stops at the at the at the at the spaceship too. So I think it's it's kind of cool. Like, is there some kind of ver- like uh, ancient Virgin Company sponsorship into the ra- Razorback? Uh, hmm. Yeah, but it's it, it's a cool it's a cool nod to current space culture and future space culture. Yeah, I don't think I had noticed it before this, but that's very cool. All right, then we go over to Marco, and he is pissed that he has planned to destroy the Rossi was thwarted by Naomi. So he tells Philip and Sin to space her, and they refuse. And, and Marco, you know, throws a fit, but he backs down. And the confrontation between uh, everybody kind of shakes Philip. So he goes to to talk to his mother and, and kind of yell at her. But she flips it around on him, tells him one day he'll have to pay a heavy price for the murder of millions and that Marco's using him. Yeah, you've ended millions of innocent lives. You don't feel the weight of it now, but you will. Uh, God damn, what I, it must be tough to say that as a mother to a son that you don't even know. Um, and also, like, you're really starting to see the cracks in Marcos show up in this this, this episode. Yeah. That uh, his support is probably pretty fragile. And he says some other scary shit later in the episode that I'm going to be talking about. But yeah, like, I and when he said spacer, it's still not clear if he was talking to Sin or Philip. But I like this guy's an, a maniac if he thinks if you order your own son to space his mother. 
Um, it's it's this thing with Marco, like he and I love how Sin calls him out. Essentially, calls him out on it without so many words. He so bad. He says, yeah. you know, you want you want this done, do it yourself. And Marco right. tellingly immediately, instead of like taking that responsibility on himself or 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 commanding Sin to do it, uh, you know, at the punishment of death, he pivots to the guy he thinks is weaker, the guy he thinks he can manipulate, right? His son. Yeah. Philip. Yeah. And 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 emotionally abuses him. Yeah. Uh, pivots to the kid, great. the child in the room, like do this yeah. thing. It's it's really gross. Uh, and it shows you like the darker side of Marco, like. Yeah, he's yeah. he's a murderer, but he's also like this manipulative coward in a way too. It's mm-hmm. it's really like a nice complex character that I I appreciate. Yeah, and this this like it's such a it's such a great uh, visual to see this bear of a man stand up to this guy and be like, if you got to do it yourself, unless you think you can make me. Yeah, and then then just when Marco might have to kind of reconsider how he approaches people, an enabler steps forward to say, right, hey. Next time, ask me, and I'll make sure it gets done. Corral, which uh, putting her then on drummership should make you really scared, right? Like, if he gives the command, what is going to happen to drummer? Or maybe he, does, maybe he doesn't even have to give the command. Maybe she can just kind of understand that if Marco were here, he'd be cool with it. And how mad is he going to yeah. really be if I space her? And, you know, beg forgiveness versus asking permission. You know, like, it seems like Marco crew might, might, uh, might run that way. Um, yeah, no, high drama putting her on the ship for sure. Yep. Uh, which we haven't got there yet, but we will. Uh, so Amos and Claire are talking about how her family, uh, specifically. Oh, wait, before uh, yeah. I, I, there's, there's this one hammer that completely, uh, this is the, this is the seeds of Arco destruction. Um, because Naomi says to Philip, he doesn't, he's cause you know, Philip's like, he loves me. He's like, no, he only loves himself. He wouldn't die for you, but he would let you die for him. Mm-hmm. And Philip's face says that he knows deep down, or at least he suspects that this is a true statement. Yeah. Like no one's ever said it before and laid it out like that. But like it goes into that kind of slimy manipulator that like, yeah, yeah. that actually tracks with my knowledge of this guy. So I, I'm and she can't really know curious to see that the scene that came right before this. Right. But she, but she knows that's the kind of thing that would happen. Uh, and that, Marco's probably been pushing him for years, right? Since she left. No, she's just sharing her truth. That's the thing that's like uh, Naomi being Naomi is like had ripple effects already. Like Sin wouldn't have done what he did if she hadn't of, you know, like she, like I thought that he, that Sin might turn against her forever after he, she whacks him with the giant space monkey wrench last episode. But Mm -hmm. like, nah, in fact, like she's actually scored points on every person. She's kind of a proto molecule contagion of goodness. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's slowly infecting uh his his inner circle um with the notable exception of uh carl or Carell. Yeah. so all right uh amos and claire are talking about how her family specifically her grandfather helped fund this reforestation project they're traveling through uh claire's not feeling great and amos uh notices a body on the ground and as he's stripping it they're going over uh, the history with their parents and how, you know, the Amos thinks he's got a father out there. It's a Schrodinger's parent kind of thing. Um, and as they continue on, the sun begins darkening and then they run into a guy who probably killed the body they found, I assume. I don't know. It's not spelled out here, but that's my That's assumption. the thing. It's like, that's an assumption you can make and it's probably the assumption you need to make in that situation. And it's you the know. way he says to Claire, that's a nice jacket. 
like like he's sizing up the stuff they have so he can take it. But 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 also Amos scooping I, the guy before makes me think that that's not the case. I I don't know. Well, yeah, because like there's like so many things run through my mind when I saw this the first time. It's like, did he kill that guy? Was that this guy's friend that just kind of died, you know, and he recognizes the jacket or was he like hiking on the same path, saw the same body and like, okay, so he's like doing calculus and math about these guys, too. Um, I it's gotcha. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a nice, it like, because all we know is Amos's perspective. That other guy's like, he's in the churn too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's that's like all this this tribal churn stuff. I thought was really cool and really in. Um, I enjoyed it even more on subsequent watches because I got to like you know first time it's all about okay, well, what is Clarissa and what's what's Amos thinking? But now it's like, what's this guy thinking and how dirty are his fingernails? And um, plus it's also it's also fun, you know, that like. Uh, they never say his name, but uh, <laughs> in the background over the whole conversation, there's the Jupiter, uh Schrodinger's uh, meow. I, do you think he's dead? No, I don't think so. I think he's in a prison somewhere. I think he's in like club fed in space. Like there's like with all yeah. the other corrupt uh, uh, po- politicians and, and bankers. And Although I guess and at this point, it's possible. Um I don't know where the prison he that I think he's in probably is. Maybe that got flooded. Maybe that got hit with a rock. I don't know. It, the thing possible. I was thinking about is if Earth is really fucked, and it's I don't know what its population is in Expanse. I'm guessing 10 to 15 billion people. That means probably 99% of everyone on Earth is going to die because there's no way earth mars and the belt combined have the lift capacity to get everybody out before you run out of food before you run out of safe drinking water before uh, everyone dies from exposure because you know half the people in baltimore just mill around in the street like mm-hmm. this is like the more i think about it, the more grim the situation becomes if if indeed we're talking about a planetary uh, extinction event um, yeah, and when you see the sun starting to dim, right, because of the yeah, the it looks like the moon stuff being thrown up into the atmosphere. It's it's scary. That's real scary. Yeah, yeah, it's already altering the weather. You've already devastated so many population centers that might have the skills and technology needed to bring things around. Like it's mm-hmm. and what does that look like? What does Earth look like when you know it's just a dead rock that all these that has way too many people on it? It starts to look like an asteroid in the belt that's missed its ice shipment, you know, hmm. like, and I, I, there's so many kind of delicious ironies that they could play with that, but they're also, they're, I mean, I feel kind of gross even saying it like that. Cause they're also, it's a human tragedy on a scale that no one that's never been imagined outside of like, you know, uh, Michael Bay, Michael Bay has imagined it. Sure. He's put it up on cinema a few times, but other than that, other than that madman, yeah, and I've immoral psychopath, deep impact. I don't know if that's Michael Bay, but I've I've seen the disaster sure. movies. History's second greatest criminal, Elijah Woods. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> okay. other, other than those people. Yeah, I thought you were going to say Morgan Freeman, and I was going to put up a fight. <laughs> Elijah Wood. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no. Yeah, uh, he's not in the top dozen worst people of history for sure. <laughs> So this guy, this uh, whoever, whether he's a murderer or a great guy, he warns them about a prepper who's shooting anyone that comes close, and they they leave and they head directly for this prepper. Uh, I love I love Amos's stupid cape that he's walking around in his flag. He's got it like this be shitted UN flag, yeah. Like it's like it's I I don't know. It's 
I, I I feel like this is just there so people don't be like, how are they surviving in the nuclear winter? It's like, it's, well, they got clo- you know, they got a cape got a made pon- out of a flag. He's it's... got a poncho. Yeah, Amos's muscles keep him warm. I yeah, but but the the, the thing is, is like you know, maybe Amos can take it. Uh, but Julie, not Julie, sorry, Clarissa's having a hard time with it, especially with Oliver the the chemical situation she's under. So, um, uh... I do. I do wonder about this statement Amos makes about the ways of living a good life without being a good person. Yeah. Um, Is he talking about his life on the Rossi? Because that that's what it feels like to me. It feels like it goes back to his, uh, uh, his adopted mother, I guess, saying that, like, I've been a bad person, but I'm going to... Like, I, I think it's like... Uh, I, I feel like almost Amos took the wrong lesson. It's not that you can be a bad person and live a good life. It's more of like... You can just choose to stop being bad, mm-hmm. um, in 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 you know especially in a, if you get to some place that's got civilization where you can you can you can be that way you can expand your tribe because um, I didn't get that like I, I got it like almost like a fake it till you make it kind of like hey we're we both know we're from we we don't have an, a chance but we're gonna act like we do we're gonna act like people that do and that's going to like fake it till you make it being good. Um, so I, I don't know because yeah. I don't know what Amos's arc is going to be. Is it going to be like he just gets it back to his crew and becomes a good person again, or is he going to find some inner kind of conscious of morality? Because I know he knows some things are bad, some things are worse, some things are irredeemable, some things aren't. Um, but does he know that he knows it already? I don't know. It's a he's a fascinating guy. Yeah, um, I did like hearing the name of our Mandalorian podcast come out of his mouth. Tribe of Two. Yeah. <laughs> Right now, you and I yeah. are tribe two. We just, yeah. we just, just. I wonder if that is actually a reference to the Mandalorian, because like, there's got to be a pretty mutual fan society in a lot of these science fiction shows, right? Oh, oh yeah, I, I just don't know if the timing lines. Is that a book up? quote? I, maybe, because I guess were they oh, saying when the they were shooting it in versus... season one? I can't remember. Yeah, it was the, that was the close. That was the hammer at the end of uh, the season one. Okay, they probably had time to get get that reference in there if they wanted to. So maybe I wasn't sure if it was in the book, but uh, yeah, and it's too bad because we were our podcast almost lined up like, you know, uh, Mandalorian ended like two, three weeks ago. And yeah, but, uh, uh, and also what's up? Uh, I love his cape, but what's up with Amos's hair in these scenes? Have you seen this like patchy uh, like somebody took uh, uh, clippers to his head with a uh, but did a terrible job like missed spots and. No, I thought it was I've dirt, never. It looks like hair to me. Interesting. I did not notice. Usually, can set a watch by his haircut. Uh, yeah, um, it's usually beard. on point. But in this episode, maybe it's he's got up. like he's he's bang. I know that later in the episode, he gets covered in blood, and there's there's a lot of things. I was like, what? When did Amos get fucked up? And I keep on re- remembering. Oh, right. He like apparently Julie just, or I'm sorry, Clarissa just burst this guy. Yeah, like ripped him in half or something. Bag. Uh, all right, so we go over to the Belters again on Drummer's ship, and Oksana is expressing her worries about how Drummer will handle this meeting with Marco to one of her crewmates. The guy says, uh, we'll deal with it if it becomes a problem. And the Free Navy shows up with way better ships than they expected, Martian warships. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they dock. They're taken to Marco by members of the Black Sky and Golden Bow Belter factions, which is interesting. It, like, it, I couldn't believe what these people looked like they they are some of the most heavily tattooed belters i've seen yet almost like they're wearing masks Mm -hmm. it's 
it's kind of crazy. Th- which is good, like language of cinema, right? Telling us these are the hardest core of belters, right? It's like you know, like maybe all Maori people have some kind of facial tattoo, but if you see someone that's like their entire face and most their upper body, you're like this is a warrior of some renown, yeah, or wants you to think that they he or she is. Uh, so yeah, yeah, like these guys, these are like the belters of like these are the fucking pirates of pirates, you know, uh, belters and belter. Then, well, I mean, it's not because that's like the, the the because all these like uh, Black Sun, Golden Bat, these were all like the the terrorist organizations. This is like you know uh, the Hamas getting together with uh, the Palestinian Liberation Organization or something. Like it's not belters, yeah. it's not belters of belters, um, but it's definitely the belter terrorists of belter terrorists. And sure. they, they I, I love how smart because these people, it's uh, they immediately deduce what's going on. And by doing that, they explain the concept to us. So it's yeah. nice, like through, through an efficient walking talk. Like, what are these people doing here? And they realize, oh, it's this is the it's, they're essentially hostages uh, mm-hmm. tribute. Um, and that that goes like it, it really pays into this tribal theme that Amos just set up in the previous scene that like tribes are getting on earth tribes are getting smaller but in the belt the tribes are getting larger they're going from factions to nations it's an interesting symmetry that's happening um so when they meet marco there's some tension over ashford's death which is kind of diffused by questions about how they're going to feed the belters uh marco says he's got a plan for it which involves a ganymede uh scientist he invites Drummer to join the Free Navy, and it's a tough decision because they're in a war that he started, and they need his protection. There's so much great stuff here. Uh, like again, in, in the walk and talk, they also let us know that according to these these Belters, who would know that based on who he's got on his ship, that Marco probably commands about half of the military might of the uh, of the OPA Navy. Yeah. Uh, where I guess the total OPA, which is significant, like as once you, you know, if you go 30 percent then there's still hope that you can get a bigger faction. But, you know, if someone controls 51 percent, then by definition, they have more support and you're going to have to work to change that. Um, and they don't know of the events that happened on Tycho yet. And we don't really know how far down that goes. Like or who doesn't? Up that oh, goes. drummer doesn't. Drummer you're right. Doesn't, okay. yeah. yeah, drummer doesn't. Sure. Um, so we you know, we have a little more information, but we, like Monica says earlier, we don't know how many people are still loyal to Marco uh, on Tycho. Is Tycho going to be... I thought Drummer does know about Fred because they discussed it last episode. And the one guy's like treading oh, very carefully yeah. when he mentions Fred John. So I think I do think she knows. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, Marco mentions the death of Fred, doesn't doesn't he? Yeah, somebody. Yeah, I, guess, yeah, I, I, I do know for a fact that they that they discussed it as a, as a crew. Yeah. Uh, okay yeah you're right about that so I guess she does know but uh, we don't really know how far that goes right like is Tycho going to somehow become part of Marco's faction Um, is he going to get like the biggest shipyard in the the solar system who knows we'll see have you ever heard of Lysenkoism Jim no uh, so this is something I researched in a three right turns like last year, but in the early 20th century that we, you know, we learned a lot about genetics and how to make hybrid species of things. Um, and a lot of the world like came up with wheat that was drought resistant and uh, pest resistant and could, you know, deliver, you know, have long, uh, shorter growing cycles and yield more, more wheat. And it's one of the reasons, you know, that and uh, industrial farming is how we feed almost 8 billion people on this planet. With the notable exception of the Soviet Union, 
who decided that genetic the, the science of geneticists the genetic ge- the science of genetics was bourgeoisie pseudoscience and they instead followed this guy Lysenko uh, who got in good with uh, Joseph Stalin and he he uh, with uh, combined with Stalin had over 3000 Soviet scientists and agriculturalists either exiled ex- uh, um, uh, imprisoned or executed and uh, and in the science denialism, they ended up, you know, it's one of the reasons that the Soviet Union had chronic food shortages and even starvation. It's not the yeah. only reason because Stalin was a real fucker. But it didn't help that they were like doing things like, you know how we can get summer winter, you know, winter wheat yields a lot more and summer wheat grows a lot faster. Let's take a summer wheat and we'll plant it in the winter and we'll train the wheat to be winter wheat. Hammer like, into what they needed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like you know, that's how Jeanette and and because they rejected for political reasons, um, they suffered for it. I'm wondering if they're going down this path where Marco, the madman, is essentially betting all of human agriculture. Because they they make this point. This is something that you found out in The Martian too. That you can't just put water and dirt and seeds together any place in the solar system. Like there's all kinds of complex biochemicals and proteins and living elements in soil that make it work. Yeah. And he's just exterminated per potentially. This is the other big, like earth is fucked. If they're talking about the collapse of the entire biosphere and his plan is a single belter scientist that worked at the Ganymede project that has facts and figures to show how they can outproduce the whole earth in a very short amount of time. This definitely had my my Lysenko uh, senses tingling. Like, oh Jesus, is this guy qualified to make these statements? Was the scientist that he's was this guy some kind of renegade Ganymede scientist? Like, I I don't know, but it's something that I'm I'm worried about. It feels like maybe a half baked plan based on ideology and need rather than actual reality. Um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, it's an interesting idea. I will just say the Martians better start shitting. They better start shitting. <laughs> They're gonna need all the shit they can get. Better at this start point. shitting in buckets and and mix. Yeah, get get, get, get those earthers the are Martian They're hungry. Flying off the rental shelves on Mars right now. They're all trying to get the Watney, the Watney method. Oh, Watneyism. Yeah. Watneyism is the future. <laughs> well, got their Bunsen burners out. They're boiling their own shit. <laughs> uh, it's, so this is another scene where Marco has a point. And Marco is persuasive, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in his speeches. And you can see where a lot of people would buy into this, especially the more radical factions of the uh, the OPA, um, stuff like that. It's, you know, the, 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 the boot is very real on the belter's neck, has been for a long time. Uh, sure. And I don't think he, like, necessarily convinces Drummer of anything, really. She's more, like, going along with this because there really isn't another choice as her crew will point out later, but it's, it's good that they're not just making this guy, this sort of buffoon, this cackling villain who is, you know, just evil for evil's sake. He's got a, he's got a real grievance here and they keep, Mm -hmm. you know, unfolding the layers of that. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, he's very smart. He's very resourceful. He's very ambitious. Uh, But he also has, you know, he's not, uh, Mary Sue villain either. Like he's got no. huge imperfections. Um, yeah, I, 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 it's, it's rare. Cause it's funny. Cause on our, our sci-fi Sundays where we watch two star treks and two expanses, we've had like back to back terrorist plots. And I talked about this in previous weeks. It's so funny that it kind of lined up this way. 
you know, we don't usually get this kind of nuance when we're seeing in science fiction. You know, it's like uh, yeah. when we just pick terrorists, uh, they're either universally bad and they have to be defeated by the legitimate uh, uh, law and order of the galaxy. Um, or they're unambiguously the good guys, the Rebel Alliance, and we don't ask about too many questions about who is on the Death Star and blah, 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 and what happens afterwards. Some things that the Mandalorians are kind of, you know, giving us answers, and the answers aren't good. Sure. Um, but yeah, like, I, I really enjoy how, you know, like, for mo- like 99.9% of us on this planet are just kind of trapped with the people that are making the decisions. And if we live in a country that lets us, uh, every couple of years we get to decide who are those people. But it's kind of terrifying. Like, I felt it being in this Belter committee where it's like, everyone's right, you know, uh, but yeah. you're also trapped. It's a choice without it. He has no, it's a choice without a choice. Uh, mm-hmm. and that, that, if nothing else, if you, if, if, if that sinks through people's heads, that's, that's an amazing insight into the human condition. And that's um, one of the things that Marco is so great at, right? Presenting people with choices that aren't actually a choice. Um, right. I, I think that's why he gets so many people to follow him because not because like it, well, a, because yes, he is charismatic and yes, uh, he is fulfilling some, some sort of wish that the Belters had for a long time, but also he kind of traps people into these situations. Um, yeah. You get the impression that like sin, you know, is on the edge there and it's, it's maybe only like he's gotten in too deep at this point to with like, he forces people to commit more yeah. code and like all this stuff. Like maybe he would want out if he could get out. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I wonder, cause like the thing that I'm thinking of is also, how do you beat a guy like this? And it seems like the only way to do it is to, you have you have to beat him, but you have to beat him in a way that like proves what they say is a lie. Yeah, yeah. You know, because like he has an enormous amount of truth that he can use for belters to motivate him. Like you know, like what he said to uh, Naomi earlier in this episode. Like we've been in a war, you just don't know it because they're killing us so slow. Yeah, that's a. I mean, we've seen enough of the show to know that that's true. Uh, how does Earth and Mars fight this without um, confirming that all those things are true? Are there ways like, you know, and that's what Ashford hearts and minds. Was how do you do the hearts too, and minds? Right? Like, like Ashford yeah. doesn't space him before because he knows that if he, they could create a martyr here, it's just going to make things worse that because yeah, you, you've got yeah. to kill what he stands for, not just him. Uh, right. And, and the tough. only way you can do that, I mean, is like, uh, I mean, lo- the long game is like, hey, if you go back in time and take care of Belters, treat them fairly, you wouldn't have this guy to deal with. <laughs> right. Uh, best time, you know, like, so the best time is 100 years ago. Uh-huh. Second best time right now. But you also sure. have to go to war with half of them. So what's that look like? Boy, boy, Hardy. But I, if this show's got answers, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have big ears listening to it because we could apply that to a lot of modern life as well. I also like what they're doing with Drummer uh, being on the same ship as Naomi and not knowing it. Like she'll figure that out here in a little bit. But yeah. like the the delicious bit here is that she's walking around in the same, breathing the same air as Naomi, doesn't even know it could help her. Right? Could do something about this. Uh, it's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. So Amos decides he's going to walk right up to this prepper's front door and claim that he wants to trade. Uh, the, the prepper makes him strip and is about to shoot him and take whatever he has when Claire powers up and just tears him apart. Uh, they go inside to find a boatload of supplies and some bikes. Uh, Amos lets Claire sleep off the after effects for mod and hears her talking about monsters in her sleep. Um, I think that's, that's about it for this scene. Yeah. Um, 
we find something very important in in this scene. What's that? Uh, which is Amos does not skip leg day. No, no, he he's, does not. He's got them thick walnut cracking thighs and 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 ass. Uh, and yeah. So it's like the whole package. We've all, always wondered. We we'll always get cut a cut off at the cum gutters. Nope, they we got some real fan service episodes. <laughs> well, so that's that's, I mean, that's important information. Downgrade from the book. Downgrade from the book because they they make it totally <laughs> strip in the book, like all, really? all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like uh, and you get you go in the county lockup, like lift your nuts and cough kind of thing. Pretty much. Um, I was wondering when they started this scene if they were going to make him do that, and they do not. This guy, this uh, this prepper, this 24th century prepper, looks so much like Dexter that I tried to make a joke about like this is like Dexter to 17th after he wandered off, after he wandered <laughs> off to be a lumberjack, then his descendants wandered, a denuded North America, and finally. When the ancestors of Meow uh, started reforesting it, he came down from the Canadian Rockies, and and um, but hmm. I felt like Amos didn't have. I felt like Amos looked foolish in the scene yeah. because it didn't feel like he had a plan. Like if there's a scene of like uh, him, like hey, if things get dicey, do your tongue thing, and she's like, I don't know if the tongue thing is going to work. He's like, ah, eh, I have faith, you know. Like then it's like you know, I because I I think you're supposed to understand that he he knew. That if Clarissa spends the night out here, she dies. Yeah, and that was an unacceptable thing in his logic structure. So any risk, even if it was certain death, it's just like he doesn't care about his own life or whatever. Um, so I think it works anyway. But I do wish there was a line of dialogue because like Clarissa looks so bad, I just assumed that she would just pass out on a tree. It was somewhat shocking when she came and spider monkeyed the guy, and also didn't help this pretty clunky non-stunt action scene. You know. Yeah, very stylistic. Like, all all those kind of action scenes have been filmed in a very stylistic way this season. Except for the suplex heard around the the uh, the shattered world of last. Yeah, yeah the, we haven't gotten a lot of uh, and you know there's been that that fire team assault on uh, Fred's quarters and there's been some cool action scenes. It just I don't know why yeah. they wouldn't do it here except for because we've seen Clarissa kick ass before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not sure why they went with the shaky cam, Clarissa in your face, scratching you, blood explosion. But uh, I was wondering, yeah, I like, like, if 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 so, if 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 this goes and Amos gets this guy to trade the gun for the water cycler, does Amos just kill this guy? Because he doesn't have a water cycler. Yeah, right. Uh, the, the or does he take him hostage and, and ties him up? Because I think the Amos thinks that he has a kid in there too, which is the really troubling thing. Um, or maybe I wonder smoked about that, that. It was fake. Yeah, because they show the front of that barrel and it's iced over, and and so, so he's got to know it's been right. sitting there for a very long time. If he sees, and you know, that. the Amos is smart. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there was just someone shot, so he like the barrel probably maybe still be warm if the blood was fresh and not frozen. So and also, how yeah. long are you gonna sit at that window with the sniper rifle so the barrel freezes over? Right, <laughs> like I guess it, it has yeah. the feel of of an emplacement, not somebody sitting at a window because a stranger walked up. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, but so, so I was just trying to think of like what situation ends in this guy not dying. And the Clarissa brings up the point too. But yeah, like, I think, I think that's the thing. Amos goes in there fully intending to kill this guy. And, and, Clar- and, and Claire, but he had no way that. to do so. And that's the thing. Oh, is it Claire? I've been calling her Clarissa this whole time. No, it's both. It's both. Claire is short oh, for Clarissa okay. and Peaches is nickname. Short for her yeah. fake name, Melba. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Yeah, because some people asked us that on the live watch. So, um, I yeah, I, I don't know. I felt like it. I, I 
it, it felt like a, a, a doomed charge that got saved because uh, Claire wasn't as hurt as we thought she was, maybe, or she had you know just just enough inhibitor or to, to, to have one brief burst of action or whatnot. Um, but eh. yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of the the stuff she's feeling is because of the drug uh, come down. You know, like she's she's coming off these these inhibitor drugs, and so you get the impression that like. And she's already tried to use this power once, and I think that helps here because you're not sure how Amos is going to get out of this if if Claire isn't able to use her powers, and fortunately she is, but that was a big question mark. Uh, the other thing I really love about this scene, and hats off to the sound designer here, is when the guy is about to pull the trigger and the, the camera is locked in on his trigger finger, right? And you see, right. And then you see Amos reacting as if he's about to get shot. There's the sound of Clarissa's mod activating, but it almost yeah. feels like it's the sound of Amos's uh-huh. impending death, right? They use it for like a right. dual purpose there. And it's not until after you hear the sound that then Clarissa shows up and kicks this guy's ass. It, yeah. It's a really nice touch where, where you hear Clarissa before you, or you hear the hallmark of Clarissa before you mm-hmm. even see mm-hmm. her. It's, it's real good. Yeah, and again, she's supposed to rip this dude in half the way he yeah. gets covered in blood. Holy moly. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, all right, then German crew argue over whether to join the Free Navy or not. They eventually decide to join uh, and engage in a crew trade. Drummer is introduced to Philip, who slips up and gives away the fact that Naomi is aboard the Pella. Afterward, Philip asks Naomi about the behemoth story in the slow zone as Marco watches through her cell camera and monitors the Rossi's flight plan toward the Zemea, plotting some kind of intercept course. I don't... That's all I could really glean from what I saw in those holograms. Yeah, I was wondering if you knew, because, like, I I could tell he was doing something crafty with uh, Naomi's ship that she gifted to Philip, uh, the Shekazamoya. Chet, Chet Smoka, yeah. Chet Smoka, um the chain smoker. Uh-huh. I, I, I could tell he was doing something crafty with it, but I wasn't, I, that stuff is just like, I don't know what the fuck, but it, it looks I guess like, that's what I'm supposed to notice. Yeah. The language of these things is like, there's, there's a potential flight plan, which I think is the dotted lines. And you can see Rossi uh-huh. heading for Zamea, And then yeah. you, and then you see him sort of chart. I think it's the Chet Smoka toward that and, and plot an intercept somewhere hmm. in there. Okay. I think that's what's happening. Um, I thought this debate amongst drummers faction was a model of like efficient dialogue because like every mm-hmm. like you know that the yeah that could be a three hour discussion but like they boil it into just like these like almost like it felt like a a, a danced or choreographed fight you know that like uh, hey Earth's not going to when when that we start slinging slugs up here Earth's not going to make the distinction between the good belters and the bad belters. Um, also, like he's a mass murderer. Well, if we need protection from Earth, isn't the greatest mass murderer of, of Terrans like the person you have on your side? Um, and and also like you know the one guy that stood up and was like, "Hey, we, there's no choice here. We're all acting like there's a choice, but there's not." Yeah. Uh, because the reality is, we three ships are not making it out of here. We're not shooting our way out. Like, what did they say? They had like a like I'm even shocked at how much shit that Marcos has got. This is the thing that still does not make sense. I haven't heard a compelling um i haven't seen something compelling yet about like why they would give this much might light cruiser heavy frigates that was mm-hmm. just amongst the armaments so outclassed so like yeah they can they can essentially make it the fearic decision to say hey 
uh, Fyrick moral victory, I guess that, that uh, Pyrrhic, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. I think it's Pyrrhic. That Pyrrhic. So they make the Pyrrhic moral decision to like stick it to Marcos and then they get to die. Right. You know, they, they take the, they take the, uh, the ghost knife uh, protocol, but it, that is not a choice, you know? Um, Cause that doesn't do anything. It doesn't weaken Marcos. It doesn't, you know, ennoble the belters to earth or anything like that. And I thought that was just like a really, Smart, you know, you got to live and maybe fight another day, sabotage, uh, resist, that kind of thing. Yeah, and this is, um, I guess this is the, the dilemma here, right? Because those kind of choices would make a difference if if many, many, many of the Belters were doing it. If all of them mm-hmm. together were saying, no, Marco, uh, actually, we're not going to support you. And you can kill us all, but you're not going to get what you want that way. Uh but since they let us know that fifty percent of the belt is exactly. kind of throwing its weight behind Marco, it's He's already lining the lining the ducks up in a row, and uh, he pro- they're isolated. He probably- right? They don't have communication with other belters at the moment. They've just sort of been out there right. doing their own thing. So, yeah, and he probably, I, I, if he was smart, he probably contacted these various, you know, Golden Bow, Black Sun, um, in a in an order of like most likely to join me. Right. So like drummer's faction who could go either, you know, well, he didn't, she didn't ghost knife me, but also she hasn't exactly been, you know, sending out feelers like, you know, he's already got the support he needs. This is just bonuses. Everything else is just gravy. Um, yeah. And like, again, they don't state this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just the show expects you to kind of pick up and, and, and keep up. And uh, yeah, it expects you to uh, think really about that, you know, what's going on in this world and yeah. how people react to those things and what kind of sense that makes. And, I, I think it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's easy to say I'm not going to support a person like this, and then the reality of actually, well, what does that mean? Like in the next five minutes, uh, that's right. a whole different. That's a whole different thing. Uh, so then, we we haven't really. They, they don't like totally spell this out in the episode, but Philip does give away the presence of Naomi on the Pella, right? He he says like, I oh, think I, drummers... I don't need you to tell her anything because I can tell her myself. She definitely picks up on that. She's given long looks at Philip. She's her oh, eyes yeah. bug out when she hears him say that. Uh, yeah. If he, if she's not on the Pella, if she doesn't know that, then she at least knows that Naomi is within their sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, it's 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 also kind of an easy leap to make that she might be kept close to Marco. That Marco would be that kind of guy, keep his enemies close, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, and so. drummer just mean mugging the shit out of everyone and everything. Uh, like if looks could kill, oh my god, these people would all be sucking void right now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> she's shooting rail cannons at them. Uh, it's great. Yeah. I, I I love it. Building a lot of tension here. We didn't really talk yeah. about uh, much. Like I really enjoyed the like. It's something I can't like relate to the way this Belter crew of hers like. Her exo is lovers with another of the exos, or I may maybe the captain of another ship, and they're all like, you know, the the, the way that like all that power balance, like you know, they're they're talking about, uh, hey, we can't let her get out of hand. We have to make sure that she stays cool. We have to. It's not like they're scheming or intrigue. It's more of like we need to make sure she doesn't get us all killed and herself. Uh, while keeping in mind she's going through i actually really yeah. like that and, and it's like you don't get you know like uh i don't think there's many shows that depict like a five-way emotional sexual relationship and 
And I, I also, for sure, it made me think of that in terms of tribal because like, I've, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows exactly how humans lived 35,000 years ago, but there's some evidence to suggest that like this nuclear family concept that we hold up as like sacrosanct is a fairly relevant recent invention of like, you know, like when I say recent, like maybe 5,000 years ago, agriculture cities kind of thing that like, yeah, if you're rolling around in a tribe of like 30 or 40 people, mm-hmm. You know, what happens when people break up and, and move and grow up together and move away and join like it's I mean, is it is it all going to be just one one man, one woman and their children? And I I, I think it's I, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really seen like like Dan and Ty. Is this them this like, you know, pushing like current trends to like extremes or are they trying to say something suggestive about, you know, humanity outside of like boxes that force you to conform to certain things, what what they do. But I think it's really interesting and you don't see it a lot anywhere else really yeah i mean the impression i get is that and she says like when she you know trades off one of her crew like she's trading family right she's not right. like not like Karal, who is a, a crewmate to to him she's trading family and so he introduces yeah, yeah. Uh, her to his son but like who he is not trading <laughs> right conspicuously not trading um yeah 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 but I get the impression that like the Belters have a culture that has evolved past like thinking of your crewmates as just people who employees, who you know, yeah. employees, like acquaintances, stuff like that, or people who are just there to get the job done. They are family because they are keeping you alive. Right. And if they don't yeah. care about you as much as you care about them, uh, people are going to die because you're just not going to yeah. check a seal on something enough times it's that triple check everything ethos yeah all of that has has kind of expanded to their culture at large and this group is very much a family um and that means you know uh everything it means for a husband and wife except extended to more people uh and it's even it's also more complicated than that because it's not that there's no hierarchy because obviously in like in a battle and torpedoes are flying you can't be like all right time out how's everyone feel about activating the PDCs and maybe like, you know, doing, you have to have someone barking orders and like making split second decisions. But like in times not like that, yeah, you do have time to like decide things democratically as a crew. Um, Mm -hmm. It does seem like the Belters are a little, and it makes total sense because the Outer Planets Alliance looks like an anarchy symbol, but it does look like they found some kind of way to practice small scale functional anarchy amongst the stars. Um, but yeah, you know, usually when we see like these type of like, uh, if you see two main characters paired off and having sex, and then in another scene, a different main character, and like, oh, that's a betrayal, right? Oh, and they're gonna like, be mad when they find out. It's skeevy, and like when I, I approach that scene, it's like, oh God, what is what's going to happen? They're going to slip, slip, in, but no, they're just looking out after drummer and the crew. I, I think mm-hmm. that's cool. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, Claire wakes up. They, her and Amos talk about their the her mod for a bit. And then Amos asks about the the monsters that she was talking about in her sleep. And she explains that it's part of a poem she uses to keep herself from thinking that she's a monster. Uh, unfortunately, it has the exact opposite effect on Amos, who says, I need to get back to my crew, which, holy shit, that is an understated dark line. <laughs> I want to stress we don't have access to captions. Uh, I could not understand what Amos said where he's like, oh, you're right, holding something about holding of what I did to that guy, but I couldn't get the exact Uh dialogue. Yeah, that's the gist. Sure. Okay. Um, But he's, you know, he's realizing that he is one of those monsters because he's not afraid. I mean, 
right? He, he, she, he has, she has just labeled him a monster, right? By saying that right. oh, I'm not a monster because monsters do bad things, and but they're not afraid uh, of killing. Right. And Amos right. kills without fear. Yeah, and I mean, that's like because I, I think the last season he said something about like it's not that he doesn't get afraid; it's just he's not. I don't know. So like. I don't that's the same. It's like I don't know if the show's actually saying that he is a monster and a psychopath, a sociopath, or he's just got a lot of fucking damage that keeps him from seeing things the way a, a normal person does. But yeah, he does need to get back to his his crew because whatever whatever path he's going to be on is not going to be improved by him being in these life and death situations for much longer. No, he can't and stay in the turn and and remain a good person or or you know, yeah. at least remain pointed in the right direction if he's not a good person. And it's going to so be interesting to see how much longer does he have to go out here and in, in, in the survival situation. Can he, you know, can he get off Earth? Uh, what does it look like when he reintegrates with the crew, of the Rossi? You know, he's gone mm-hmm. kind of like feral. Uh, are we going to have? Is he going to start like choking out Holden again, <laughs> or uh, you know, th- throwing Alex through a, a fucking table? And because like, he, you know, he's been known to overreact in, in earlier seasons. Um, sure. Lots of lots of fascinating story potentials for my favorite character. And I, I love how this meshes with things we've seen in the past, right? Because it's not just like Claire is labeling him a monster de, de facto, but he has also, by the definitions of this poem, labeled himself that. Because in mm-hmm. last season, when he's dealing with Murtry, he sits down with Murtry and says, we're both killers. The difference mm-hmm. is that like, you know, you you kill because you're an asshole. I kill because killing needs to be done or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I, I forget I exactly to, yeah. what he says, yeah, but yeah. he's labeled himself a killer. And so when Claire labels killers as monsters if they're not afraid, and Amos knows he's not afraid, it's it just uses the, the stuff that's happened yeah. right in previous seasons to to label him as the monster. Yeah, and like uh, there, there's also I keep on seeing this foreshadowing for this Lysenko uh, 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 theory that I introduced, like because when you know Clarissa, Clarissa says like you know my implant does this and then it leaves me like this, and he's like, oh that's a shitty kind of shitty design could use a little bit more forethought and she's like well i didn't think about the consequences only revenge and i think you could apply that to marco too that like the idea yeah mm-hmm. just there's no fucking way he can kill earth and they're not going to be unintended consequences yeah um it'll be interesting to see what they do with that yeah yeah i think that's it This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep, and I don't know about you, Jim, but my sleep schedule is whacked out from the holidays. I've been staying up late, binging TV, playing video games. Sometimes I'm up till 4 a.m. Next night I'm passing at 9.30. I'm just every which way here. Uh, You know, I've forgotten what sleep is at this point. Well, you know what I say? New year, new sleep habits, new mattress. So let's talk about Helix Sleep. And the cool thing about Helix Sleep is they recognize that we all have unique bodies that have unique sleep support needs. Whether you're a human, nocturnal vampire, daywalker, straight robot, whatever, Helix 2-Minute Quiz will match your body type and sleep preference to the perfect mattress for you and the way you sleep. The quiz does all the heavy lifting because they have several different mattress models to choose from. And not just soft, medium, and firm options, no, but they have mattresses great for cooling you down if you sleep hot and a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size folks. 
I took the Helix Quiz and was matched with the Helix Dusk because I wanted something that was kind of in the middle of firm and soft and I sleep on my stomach. Helix gives me a great night's sleep, so if you're looking for a mattress, take the quiz, order the mattress you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door shipped for free. You don't ever have to go to a mattress store again. Helix is awesome, but you don't need to take our word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by both GQ and Wired Magazine. They're so confident they even have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Go to helixsleep.com slash pulp, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. Helix is offering up to $200 off for all mattress orders and two free pillows to our listeners at helixsleep.com slash pulp. Does it make sense that the same company who controls half of online retail also passively eavesdrops on your private conversations at home? What about the idea that a single company controls 90% of internet searches, runs your email service, and gets to track everything you do on your smartphone? Big tech is more powerful than most countries are, and they profit by exploiting your personal data. Well, gee whiz, Jim, I wonder who we're talking about here. Schlamazon? Schlugel? Doesn't matter, because you can stop it all at the Schlors. <laughs> Just put a layer of protection between your online activity and big tech with ExpressVPN. Every site you visit, video you watch, message you send, and purchase you make gets tracked and data mined. But when you run ExpressVPN on your device, the software hides your IP address, something tech companies can use to personally identify you even if you don't have an account with them. ExpressVPN makes your activity harder to trace, commodify, and sell to advertisers. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your internet data to keep you safe from hackers and eavesdroppers on your wireless network. And ExpressVPN does all of this without slowing down your connection. That's why it's rated the number one VPN service by CNET and Wired. What I like most about ExpressVPN is how easy it is to use. You just download the app on your phone or computer, tap one button, and you're protected. Stop handing over your personal data to the big tech monopoly that mines your activity and sells your information. Protect yourself with the VPN we trust to keep us safe online. Visit expressvpn.com slash pulp. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash pulp to get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash pulp right now to learn more. Let's consider some some feedback. This is the first time we've opened up the feedback. Well, I, I guess I snuck one in in the, in the first one. We had to get some some right before we left for Christmas. But obviously, you know, we recorded a lot of these in advance. Now we've caught up and we got people. I got stuff to say. We got quite a bit of feedback. Uh, if you want to get into your tight beams, send it to expanse at baldmove.com. First up, Eric, I know award shows mostly are political and actively dislike science fiction. But damn, this show needs to be nominated for an Emmy at least. I mean, fuck, The Mandalorian got nominated last year. Yes, it's YI or YA, young adult and mildly boring. Uh, but Mando got nominated nonetheless. Shots fired to Star Wars fans yeah, here. Yeah, mildly bo- Damn. That's uh, mildly controversial. <laughs> writing, characters, effects. I don't say this lightly, but it's the best TV show of all time. The best, fight me. I don't know if it's the best. I like another show based on Baltimore quite a bit that deals with real life <laughs> politics and intersection of policy and stuff like that. But it's a damn good show. I think it's as worthy of an Emmy as Star Trek The Next Generation, who won several Emmys for writing and even a couple acting noms. I don't think they actually won. It might have been nominations. I think it's as deserving. Didn't Battlestar get a few? And it's in, later on in its run. Um, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why. 
Um, well, the question I is competition. Think, like, you know, the, the competition I can't imagine was super stiff back when Next Generation was on the air. Uh, you know, pro- true. <laughs> the, the late 80s, early 90s, not known for their uh, amazing television. Yeah. You and know, unfortunately, it's not... So not a lot of people, I think, watch this show. And I, I mentioned in an earlier podcast that we would have a little bit of evidence, not circumstantial, about like the impact that The Expanse has. Because we, we went through the live watch phase of uh, The Boys, which is another Amazon Prime show. It's only in its second season, not in its fifth. Um, and we saw what that did to the watch parties. Like It just exploded the category. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on how you look at it, the Expanse, the expanse and it's not done with the throne of course but the expanse has had one third to one half of the impact of the boys um probably less because usually when a, a boat rises it doesn't like you know people you know go to a watch party for the first time it's not like they might be more inclined to do so like it just grew the audience and then the expanse could have grown it on top of it it's it's at half or one third of what the high water mark of the boys watch parties were again is it one to one people to do watch parties, people to watch the show stuff, but it's an extrapolation because Twitch is a sci-fi geek friendly net, you know, kind of like network thing. And the boys and the expanse kind of have that similar appeal. They're very different shows. I mean, I'm not saying yeah. like emotionally, they're not even close um, dramatically, but you know, same kind of people watch both. And I, I, I was honestly disappointed to see that. I was really hoping that it would be as big, maybe a little bit more than the boys. Um, I, that, that's the thing is like this show is on a a, uh, a, a uh, an outlet that's that's pretty new and, and unproven doesn't have the marketing team the the Emmy lobbying team that the HBO and Netflix does because it is very political mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't have the 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 audience uh, apparently either and it's unfortunate it's unfortunate but you know what like that other great show set in Baltimore that got zero Emmy wins uh sometimes you just have to accept that you're watching the best show and fuck what everybody else thinks you know sure uh norm says at the end of last season it seemed like marco and his merry band of terrorists had crossed a big asteroid or tossed a big asteroid masked by mars stealth technology towards earth but i'm confused about what happens next it got too close to the sun and broke up marco somehow realized this sent philip to knock out the observatory and remove their knowledge is that what happened uh yes yeah yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, it's it's one of the asteroids um, that got they got busted up, and that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought they did a good, pretty good job of telling that, but I, some people got confused. He says, "How did Marco know about this in the observatory?" Um, I think it's more of like Marcos was was. We know he was calculating the trajectory of the asteroids very closely. Um, he since he was knew where to look and where to find it, um, he probably observed it busting up and saw that the altered trajectory is going to bring it past this observatory. I don't think he has like everything wired and tapped and all that kind of stuff. Um, I yeah. think it's just more of like he was tracking them, saw something that happened, and was trying to be proactive. That, about that sounds it. right, but it's also I it is a little bit of a head scratcher. Like you got this carefully calculated plan, right? This three pronged attack. You're going to attack Martian parliament. You're going to attack Tycho station. You're going to throw rocks at earth. And yet you throw one too close to a sun. It, it, it seems like maybe you could have planned that, that one aspect of it a little better. I guess I would say the same, except for I've seen two, two space shuttles blow up in my lifetime with thousands of people combing over every square Fair. inch of it and checking. And like one, it was, it was a, 
a putty ring that brought it down one time. Another was like two or three tiles that were scuffed up because yeah. of ice hit it. So it's like, you know, did the, 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 the Martians data material safety sheet show like how much gravitational effects it can withstand and how, what Kelvin it can before it starts to break apart. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. it's tough. That's I guess tough, like why but, sling uh, it so close to a sun, but maybe they just miscalculated. Yeah, I mean you don't you don't get to choose. Uh, uh, you know, I, Isaac Newton is the one that gets to choose what trajectories are, and if you wanted things to hit in a particular time and a particular set, you gotta. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Got a slingshot. Uh, Yvonne says, "Do we uh, do we think that drummer's eye makeup is tattooed on?" <laughs> we saw in episode three. She even wakes up in her full death's head makeup. Yeah. However, saw a little smeariness when she got weepy. Maybe not tattoos, right. uh, but seriously, it has to take at least twenty minutes each morning, plus touch up several times a day. She seems too badass for that kind of major primping. It looks perfect even when she's in a life or death battle mode. Seth and I discussed this at length during mm-hmm. these episodes because we saw the same things. You, you got any uh, book insights or? Uh, oh yeah, the book has like sixteen pages, right? Right smack dab in the middle of a firefight, uh, talking about her eye makeup. No, of course not. <laughs> They don't deal with it because they're you don't see it in the book. Uh, yeah, no, I, I assume it's makeup because it does smear. So tattoos don't smear unless future tattoos smear. I don't know. Maybe this is like a moving tattoo she's got. <laughs> well, so I, I don't know how tattoos work in Expanse, but we have seen or maybe we have. I've seen someone re, like spray paint a Rasananti by just yeah. waving like a dot matrix gun towards it and just magically appears like almost like it's might be nano reactive pigments or something. I've seen the same thing when they spray painted uh, like remember the can't graffiti on mm-hmm. a station wall. It wasn't like Banksy style templates and paint. No, um, yeah. Yeah. So I imagine like that kind of technology could probably, you could probably do makeup and even tattoos pretty quickly and easily kind of like a Lilu Dallas oh, multi-pass man. little eye scanner thing you just you, you hold up to your eyes and do and and I suggest that the runny makeup when she's crying is uh our 21st century limitations of of tattoo makeup technology because <laughs> sure. I think it's supposed sure. to be like that kind of like it's it's so my idea for these these tattoos is they're permanent in that way that they're not going to change. Like you can't scrub them off, but you could go and have them reassembled. Yeah, yeah. With the same technology to put them on, but it's a shame. It really reduces the Belter's uh, badassness in my eyes. Because if you can just get a tattoo like spray painted on in five seconds by some some dude wherever you want, like if you could do it yourself in the mirror in the morning, give yourself random tattoos, it's not nearly as badass as like. I don't know, having the bottle of ink that you dip the the needle <laughs> yeah. into and you're hitting with the little hammer, right? Like the right. Maori stuff. It's Right. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Belters. Don't take the easy the way drummer, out here. I think, I think Drummer would say, it's like, not my tattoos that intimidate people. It's my fists and my torpedoes. So okay. <laughs> I do the Fine. tattoos for me. Well, the tor- that's torpedoes the for you. And the golden bow, because they don't know that yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh... Andy Minga says, having watched, rewatched uh, episode 505, wait, season five, episode five, I spotted that when Naomi strikes down Sin, her knife falls to the ground. It looks like Philip hadn't noticed and confiscated it, but still had an idea of what she wanted to do to Marco. Uh, otherwise, after having watching, uh, rewatched the first three episodes without any later book knowledge, here's my, th- okay, hold on a second. Let's, let's, 
Um, I didn't so this notice is something that, knife that thing. I didn't either. And like, but I think you and the rest of the community convinced me of your way of viewing things during the most recent watch party on Sci-Fi Sunday uh, at twitch.tv slash bald move at 8 p.m. every oh, single boy. Eastern. Yeah, I'm getting that, getting that. Uh, oh, I mean, boy. it's a fucking Expanse live watch. Do you guys want to know about it or not? We're doing them, okay? Yeah. They're kind of popular. People are showing up, digging it. But I, uh, that was like the fourth time I'd seen that episode. And I, after you guys kind of walked me through the beats, I'm like, okay, yeah. I, well, I didn't consider that when Philip said, I'd saved your life, he was talking about taking her off the ship with him. Right, Because right. she would be on the Rasanante getting blown up instead of saving them. And, in and that he moment, was talking she about connects the dots too, which makes me think that, which that's, that's the thing that really sold it. That like, that's an interpretation that fits in also her realizing what he, the, the full impact of what he was saying and the desperation to get in touch with, with Holden. So the warner about the right. sabotage warn him about sabotage. So, uh, I agree. I think, I think I just got that wrong. Um, uh yeah so i i subscribe to that gary says just want to comment on something you brought up as a possibility in the podcast for episode five of the expanse this week y'all postulated that given the show might be setting up bull as a replacement pilot for alex going to season six and possibly beyond um i don't think the setting up bull as a pilot is intentional as this season of the expanse was fully written and shot before the allegations against cass anvar brought to life i agree with that mm-hmm. i do i don't think it was intentioned i think it's something they could definitely do. Yeah. Um, as someone who's read all the novels and novellas, a straightforward recast for Alex would be my preferred option, but having bull step into those shoes would actually work for me as well. They'd have to drastically develop his character in season six, uh, to develop his relationship with the Ross and Rossi crew to make bull taking some of Alex's plot beats and later novels have the same impact. I mean, yeah, obviously like you can't bulls, not the guy who went through all this shit with the crew. So like you would have to find a way to forge connections really quickly. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's doable. And so does uh, Gary here says it's certainly doable. Bull would be a great character to have to do that with. If that's the route the writers go, I'm fully on board. Um, yeah, I didn't. I actually there. The, um, there seemed to be kind of some excitement and consensus building to where if you have to have a pilot for the Rossi, uh, why not bull? And I do think it makes yeah. a lot of sense. It, it would you know, give d- Bull his day in the sun because I feel like he got shafted in earlier seasons where he got cut out, uh, specifically in like season three. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he busts my balls a bit with the uh, PS rest in peace. Ocho Cinco from a six time pro bowl wide receiver to an all time leader of the belt. And then the OPA, he will be missed. This is because I called Chad Coleman, Chad Johnson. And it's funny because like there's a whole bunch in, in chat during the live watch. There's a whole bunch of like Ocho Cinco rest in peace kind of like and I'm like, I didn't get the joke because there's all kind of going by too fast. But then I realized I, I fucking did an Aaron. So gotcha. Thank you for that, Gary. Let's move on to Scott. I have a small point in your pod of episode five. You say the other God, or the other guard shoots tiny. You didn't mention is the female guard who used the dead guards hand to shoot the biometrically controlled pistol. It's a small point, but since the show went to the trouble of saying that no one else can use the guards gun, it was a practical detail. That's cool because something that like Cecily mm-hmm. even mentioned, when we're watching. He's like, why did, you know, why wouldn't she just take the gun and shoot him? It's like, it's gotta be harder. And I'm like, well, I don't know. It's a split second. And the guy had rigor mortar. So whatever, but yeah, no, that's a way cooler callback to like she couldn't have taken the guy's gun and, and shot it um yeah 
it's surprising to me that they wouldn't have everybody on file for I every was about, gun, all the guards. I was about like, to say that, that like, yeah, that they like any guard is authorized to use any other guards weapon. Um, yeah, you you would think that would be the case. But I mean, look, in, in my effort to concisely recap things, I gloss over a lot. Like it's not if you wanted to point everything that I gloss over uh, during a concise scene summary we'd be here all day. So yeah, uh, of, that's, that's, of that's what the podcast is for. So yeah, so, or that's what the yeah. feedback is for. Because I, I, I didn't, I didn't even pick it up. I thought it's a, a cool detail. Yeah. Um, let's see, Chris, really enjoying your podcast. You mentioned that you like the Tony or tiny slash cone check actor, a uh, cone check cone check. Uh, Boomer Phillips. He played a character in another show. I watched letter Kenny on Hulu. If you're not familiar with the show, it's worth checking out. Uh, his character is a hockey player named Boomtown in season three. What? I I made it. Th- yeah, I actually had someone suggestion started watching Letterkenny, and I made it like two or three episodes. I liked it. I I didn't go away from it because I hated it. I just like I I ran out of time. Um, but yeah, I I, I do. I maybe I can see Tiny again in season three. So the guy's name is Boomer. He plays a character named Boomtown. Uh huh. Like when when OK Boomer was a really popular thing to say was his life just hell. Oh, it had to have been. <laughs> it had to be. It had to have been. There's no freaking like like everyone named Karen right now is going oh, through that right God. now. Chad, yeah, Boomer, across the world. Boomer Esiason, Boomer Phillips. Yeah, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's 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 tough. Although I got, I don't know, like, is it bad to have a meme based on how like desirable you are to woman, women, and how masculine and attractive you are? Because I guess it's rough being a Chad. If so, oh right. Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, uh, yeah. Um. Mike from Spokane says, I just listened to the latest episode of, uh, for which, wait, I just listened to the latest episode, which was for episode five, and you were theorizing the mutual benefit of what appears to be the relationship between portions of the Martian military and a Naros' faction. Mm-hmm. This has been, uh, yeah, I talked about this in this, I, I don't understand why Mars would give all these powerful sh- starships to the belt. Like, you're the corrupt as fuck, or you're a true blue Martian. Those things don't seem to line up, you know? Um, in previous episodes, they mentioned the Martian parliament was bombed, but they haven't said more about if that means the Martian government itself has been decapitated. If that were the case or was severely weakened, it would provide someone like Admiral Salvatar to step in and take emergency control with broad support from the Martian Navy, essentially a coup. With Earth in a completely devastated position and Anaros conspiring with Admiral uh, Salvatar, my theory is that the Admiral wants Mars to focus on Mars and continue its terraforming, the quote-unquote promise of Mars. Um, huh. They elaborate, seeing so many flee the red planet for the ring worlds is probably gut-wrenching for a patriot like him. Anaros could care less about what Mars do on its, uh, what Mars does on its planet, and by accepting Martian technology and ships, he can essentially blockade the ring worlds altogether or destroy ships headed for the gate slash completely halt the exodus of Martians heading for new worlds as an alliance of mutual benefit. This makes a lot of sense. Someone else, um, uh, which I cut because I wanted to, to talk about this in this email, uh, mentioned that maybe you could use the protomolecule for the same thing. That like if you if you sent the protomolecule through all thousand gates or to all thousand worlds and activated it, made him uninhabitable, then the Martians would have to go back to terraforming, uh, terraforming, terraforming Mars. Huh. Um, these make a lot of Jesus, sense. Jesus, at what cost, man? Gonna give I mean, up a thousand worlds if, to preserve your homeland. I guess a fanatic might see a benefit. That's what I'm saying. Like, like, or like, not even like, 
there's certainly generals in America's history during the Cold War that would be more than willing to push the button against Russia, even though that would almost certainly devastate Earth and it would make life hard for everybody. But they would do it because they believe in the cause. And we know that Mars has had a lot of pointed guns right at Earth's head in the form of like planet killer missiles and mm-hmm. um, atomic weapons and stealth first strike technologies. So I think that this, you know, if this guy's got blood, you know, dust, more dust in his blood or veins and blood. Maybe he would accept like killing Earth to get and, and shutting off the stars to humanity to make Mars Mars to, to, to fulfill the dream of Mars. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't recall them doing much um, with the Martians in the book. I know there there is Martian uh Belter Mar- Martian Marco collaboration to some degree, but they don't really go super deep into it here. With Savater, they've done more than they've done in the books, and I'm really interested to see how that goes, especially like given his his speech, um, you know, about yeah, you know, the, the preserving that Martian ideal, um, and and you know the ring gates. He specifically mentions them as a choke point, like he. I I don't know what the attack looks like on Mars and. We haven't seen that yet, but I'm hoping eventually we get around to whether the whether this guy survived it. Um, yeah, whether this guy was part like right of now. it because if he's part of like giving Marco, you know, weapons and and ships, probably like that's the only guy high enough up there to even get a ship to Marco. Um, yeah, his his involvement could be could be a lot greater than we we think. Uh, they also wrap up with like, I didn't buy the line from Inaros this episode that he, uh, gives Naomi about the Belters not having anything to gain from the ring worlds because it wreaks havoc on them physically. This isn't a time of science or ton of science on this, but every planetary body is a different level of gravity. Surely there's some planets that the Belters would find perhaps uncomfortable at first, but eventually adapt to. I don't think that's the point because like Sin said, like the problem is if Belters adapt to the planets, they're not Belters anymore. And that will destroy them. The, the what 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 that makes them special, you know. And obviously, what makes them special is worth fighting for. Or they wouldn't mind getting killed by inners, you know. So I think it's like it's yeah. It'd be it's not that they don't think that Belters can adapt to the planet, but just they will turn into Wellwallas and no longer Beltaloda. I'd, I'd be interested to see how many hundreds of years it takes for that sentiment to entirely change. Like once you're right. out from under the thumb of the belt or of the, the inners, like you're going to want the comfort, the safety, the security of. Oh yeah. Most people planet, do. Right. Of a gravity well of an atmosphere. Like it's, it makes no sense to live entirely in space long term. So Yeah. You know, those ideals will change. It's just that right now the Belters have that that cultural, not necessarily indoctrination. It's just how they live. But like that'll fade. Well, it makes me think of like the Celts, um, uh, you know, the barbarians uh, fighting Rome, like 200 years after Rome conquered them. They're wearing togas and putting up marble (laughs) columns and probably pretty happy about the situation. But those old Germanic tribes, that's what they feared. Like they didn't want their people wearing tunics and putting up marble statues and worshiping Martian gods, you know, or Roman gods rather. (laughs) Right. Uh, You know, like that's like they didn't, that's uh, there's, there's, there's genocide. There's cultural genocide. They're not, you know, and you know, that's an, that's an open question. Like if those people were better off hundreds of years in the future, did it make it right to conquer them in the first place? Um, Mm -hmm. Was there other ways to do that? Should you let them kind of determine this? 
lots of interesting uh, sociological questions. Okay, well, I'll get to kind of um, meta book questions to consider. Um, nothing about the actual plot, but just about the ad- adaptation and the enjoyment thereof. Uh, first up, Mike from Sydney. After season four last year, I binged the Expanse series of books, and after watching the first three episodes of season five, I've been pleasantly surprised at the way they've streamlined the plot to avoid the need for excessive exposition. Thankfully, no sex position. And they, they, God knows they could have fit it in. There's a lot of, yeah, well, a lot uh, of writhing belter bodies in those first three episodes. <laughs> I'm all for um, the sex position. Come on. I don't mind sex position too yeah. much. I think it can get distracting and kind of garish. And, Look, and, and you know, we've covered fan. shows that do it. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but Mike continues, it seems like they've consciously deviated from the books enough to be to make it its own story. I'd love to get your thoughts on whether you think TV series that make a clear distinction or decision to deviate works uh, better than those that simply attempt to condense. I, for one, enjoy getting essentially another story from the same world and avoids the book is better than the movie argument. I'd also love to hear reflections as blokes who are deep into the sci-fi of on the realism aspect, how the laws of gra- physics still apply, and there isn't just a gravity module and hyperspeed drives and magic away the problems of space. Do you think films and shows like Star Trek and Star Wars could have worked with a similar level of realism injected? Let's consider these as two separate topics. First, do you have any thoughts about TV or movies uh, at, at that, like like how faithful they are versus condensing versus changing? Because yeah. I feel like I've seen all of them work in in, in, in various degrees. Like I've seen like yeah. pitch perfect adaptations. I've seen ones that change everything. Uh, I've seen ones that keep the basic plot points, but then short change and shortcut characters and stuff. What do you think? I I think you you kind of just pointed out the the truth of it, which is that it doesn't matter. It's really just about how good is the thing they're creating. You know. Um, yeah. I've I've enjoyed, like you said, things that are exactly like a book. Um, and I've enjoyed things that deviate a little bit. Uh, the Expanse has been doing a ph- phenomenal job, in my opinion, of fleshing things out and correcting maybe minor mistakes from the books. Um, and, and doing it on really what is a condensed budget of time, right? Like they've got a certain number of episodes per season, and they really got to slam on the gas to get through these really thick books. Like these books are 500 mm-hmm. plus page monsters. Um, to do that requires a certain amount of repositioning of people and characters and plot lines. And they've done a great job in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I, I've only read the books that I've read, but I'm always amazed at how, like when I, I watch the series first and then I go back and read the book that corresponds with that. And I'm always surprised at how much I get out of the read, not just like filling in, like it's never like plot holes, but like deeper understanding of why people are doing things. And often like also like what the hell is going on? Because I was expecting this person to do that thing and they're not doing that thing at all, or they might not even exist or they might be a different person. Um, yeah. I think I think that uh, that works really well. And they're doing like some weird companion piece type stuff because I almost view these as like feeding back into each other because when I go and I watch the series and I see them kind of blending plots and changing characters to, to fit a condensed time frame in the show and then I go and I read the book, yes, I do feel like I'm getting inside the heads of the characters a little bit more, but I'm also taking the knowledge that I've got from the books and or from the show and then filling in a little bit more of the, what characters were doing because they don't always spell it out perfectly in the books either. Right. It's like 
you know, like I said, there's this Claire and Amos stuff. I don't recall it being this deep and interesting with, you know, Amos questioning, am I a monster? Like the Melba doing all this stuff to label him that. Like, I don't remember that stuff being in there. Um, maybe it was and I missed it. But that deepens the experience of reading the books, too. So it's like this feedback loop, which is really working. I think it's cool that Dan and Ty seem like they also are open into like, well, they changed things in the previous season. And because I, I think you might be right, those I, mean, I haven't read them, but those Amos and Claire scenes might be deeper because Claire was a more developed character right. in the, 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 the series. And they're like, oh, well, they had this and they did that. And there's that moment between her and Amos and we can build a like they're not. They're not limiting themselves by their own. They they have a great story. They're very confident in, and they know that that story doesn't necessarily have to take the shape that it did. And I also think that like mm-hmm. the, since they're two authors, I bet there's some where like Dan, you know, like Dan and Ty have like a Rochambeau about like you know what happens, and then in the series, like they're like you know what, let's try your thing. And, like there's all kinds of ways you can, you know, when it's not just a singular person doing it. Uh, there's all kinds of ways you can bounce ideas and. I think it sure. works really well because, like, again, I've seen it. I've at this point, I've seen it all kinds of different adaptations. I've seen just straight up one for one, which works if you got the time. Like, if you got a t- twelve episode HBO series, you can tell a single book in. You can do a damn fine job of just telling that goddamn story. Yeah. Um, I've seen where they just like it, they, they treat their source material like a jukebox, like the Master and Commander film, perfect example. Hmm. Ten brilliant scenes that are right from the book. They're just from seven different books that are not connected in time or space at all. And that can work. And I've also seen where they just take the basic characters and concept and then, you know, do it. And it's it's just like it's it's you can you can do a bad job of slavishly adapting material. You can do a bad job of twisting and and shaping material and you can do a good job. And I think Mm -hmm. that, yeah, it's 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 kind of cliche to say but like yeah just do it good (laughs) don't do it the sucky way just do it the good way (laughs) what do you think about the idea of like the the scientific realism in the expanse like would star trek and star wars work i star wars absolutely would not because it's yeah fantasy right i mean the 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 force and then yeah just like you don't want to have to deal with that baggage in star wars um it it would only drag the thing down i think but yeah, like Star Trek. I, I don't know, because Star Trek is also one of those things where like they're not like the the sci-fi trappings are there because they were writing in the sci-fi genre. What they're really trying to do, though, is give you uh, some lessons, right? Give you some moral teachings. Uh, that's what Star Trek is really trying to do. So I, I don't know if it would weigh it down. It. Huh. Is that the what real problem is? is? <laughs> yeah, you might not it's be. It's Ron Moore going, I couldn't do as as realistic or cool of sci-fi stuff as I wanted in Star Trek, so let's do this in Battlestar. Yeah, it could be. Um, because I, I think that, like, I think we're a little cheating because, like, if you don't want to tell a story of uh, mankind spanning the galaxy, you are stuck in a solar system. You just are. Uh-huh. Um, you might send a generational ship like the Navoo out to some points unknown, but you're not going to, you're going, it's going to take light years for you to hear back from what happened to them. You're not going to, they're going to, they're, they're no longer a part of your society. It's much like going and True. sailing to an unknown continent back in the day. Um, the expanse has its cake and eats it too, because they introduce this 
fantastically advanced species that can you, you talk about obeying the laws of physics they can fucking cancel fusion yeah. in at least an orbital radius of a planet and they're gone and they're dead and we're just playing with their toys so like we can have the star spanning humanity without inventing warp drive and all that but it's it's kind of it's the same thing like the expanse is uh discovering the star wars universe after they're dead and gone kind of like so and and it's fantasy I, in its own way right it's it's science that's so far beyond us that it's magic um right it's protomol everything protomolecule like like everything terran and martian and belter is very grounded and realistic and gritty yeah. everything protomolecule and beyond is like yeah it's magic it's asimovian magic right it, it's it's the the faster than light travel the warp speed nine point whatever in in the form of a ring gate right that can then take us to illus in a matter of months instead of yeah. d- hundreds of years yeah Donald says the first three episodes have been fun and I'm enjoying being back in the world of the expanse again. The showrunner still remember the little things like seeing Holden still have to use his radiation meds after all this time. It's a nice touch. I wanted to ask Jim if having read the books made watching the show experience worse. I have read up to book six and I think it's in, impacting my viewing experience. I find myself thinking about what is about to happen instead of being uh, in the moment and enjoying it. Um, I, feel I mean, that. that sounds that sounds like something that can happen. What What's your experience, Jim? My experience is like looking at those things and going, OK, how are they going to twist this? Because I know all the pieces aren't exactly lined up um, the way they are in the books. And and I'm watching now with with like, you know, macro scale knowledge. But the micro scale of the stories they're telling are just as intriguing as day one of, of the book read to me because they're different. Yeah, they're so different. Yeah. And I, you know, like, um, living in the moment be is, is, is kind of like, uh, uh, a life practice you have to, you know, cause like, uh, I, you might find yourself getting caught up in real life with expectations and them fucking with you and being unable to enjoy the thing that's actually happening. And it's cause you're so taught, uh, kind of caught yeah. up in the thing that you wanted or expected to happen. Maybe it's better, maybe it's worse, but you're missing it because your expectations are uh, linked up. So I was like, I don't know. It's beyond the scope of this podcast to talk about how you uh, have a div- cultivate what they call presence, you know? Um, maybe a one weird but, trick uh, topic. Could be, yeah. Come on, the, the one, uh, speaking of three right turns, one weird trick, the other show I do, uh, we talk about stuff like that. But it's, uh, I mean, I've... I've definitely felt that, but it's usually when it's an, a bad adaptation. Um, and it's, it's, I, I don't think it's also beyond the pale for someone to think that the expanse is a bad adaptation. That's a outside, clearly the mainstream opinion, but I can see like, if you really had like, uh, if you're like a, a Naomi fan, I don't think they did a very good job by Naomi in the first Naomi in the first like three seasons. But I think they're doing a better job with her now. Like that's the thing. They are. Yeah. But if Naomi was your favorite character in the Expanse, yeah. and you got three seasons in, and like you know what, they're just ma- she's the fucking Ron Weasley of this joint. She's just always the blame. She's always one causing conflict. Does she just shut up and trust who uh, you? And you'd have a point because no- that's not in the books. Like yeah. Naomi's much more. If anything, Holden is the one that's kind of ever like fucking everybody's life up. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I can I can definitely see people being unhappy with certain aspects of this adaptation. Um, you know, like again, it's outside of it's. I don't agree with it, and it's outside of the what seems a mainstream fan experience. But um, that sucks sometimes when you're the you know everyone's you see everybody inside enjoying themselves, and you're out in the cold. Uh, yeah, I don't know. 
Let, be present. Get get uh, you just go sit on a log in Dagobah and talk to Yoda for a while until you you realize that she's got to let go. Got to you got to turn off the targeting computer and use the Force, Donald. Yeah, I'm definitely closer. <laughs> As John Lupicard said, right. you should use the Force. <laughs> Maybe that'll help you detach a bit, buddy. I'm definitely closer to the the last thing you said, which is like you feel like you're getting too two stories uh, it's it's the the I, this is the double mint gum double the pleasure double yeah. the fun i i get to experience the the story twice from different angles and i'm really loving that yeah yeah which do you which counter-strike level do you prefer dust or dust two sure <laughs> the original or the adaptation they both have their merits they do uh thank, thanks for all that feedback and uh yeah i just appreciate all the feedback it's uh, it's it's nice um you can send in those messages to expanse at baldmove.com we'll be back next week to consider uh episode seven until then i'm aaron and i'm jim see you later <laughs>